On today's episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the song will go on the podcast inspired by the songs inspired by the motion picture as always. And it's good to be back on the pod, but man, extra good to be back in the pot when you're covering such a banger of a song as the one that we have today oh that's right we're covering black ship by metric yes featuring brie larson from the 2010 film scott pilgrim versus the world and joining us as always co-producer and co-host of the pot hey i gotta say she defeated all my evil exes to win my heart by the way, she wasn't that impressive since it was only grand total of one. It's Sophia Matana. What's up, Sophie? Hi. I don't know if I should be proud of that. And our guest today, hello again, friend of a pot. <laughs> I knew you when, when, when we actually co-hosted a film podcast back in 2010, when actually Scott Pilgrim hit theaters. It's film critic and co-host of numerous podcasts like Desmenuzando, Proxima Tanda, and plenty of more great Spanish-speaking film-related podcasts. It's my friend Mario Alegre Femenias. What's up, Mario? Whoa, hello, Paolo. Que es la que hay. So good to be back. It's been a while. It, yeah, it's been 13 years since we started uh, podcasting uh, back down here. And Sophie, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Long time like, listener, yeah, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> it, We're so glad like, to have you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, so like I mentioned, Mario, like I remember this movie coming yeah. out when we were doing the pod. So like we covered it. We talked about it. Like you're a film critic. So... Yeah. When I ask you, like, what movie song you want to talk about, what movie, there's a lot for you to choose from. So yeah. why Scott Pilgrim and why Black Sheep? I loved Scott Pilgrim since the day it came out. I remember I went to a very, very depressingly empty theater because this <laughs> no. movie did not, did not make a lot of money when it came out. And I watched it, uh, not by myself, there were like a couple of two or three more uh, people in the theater. But it was love at first sight. And I recall this song being my favorite from that soundtrack. And and I I thought it was uh, an original recording. Then I, later I found out that it was uh, a song by Metric. And later, later I found out that when they did the premiere at Comic-Con and they took <laughs> yeah. everyone in Hall H, they took him across the street to a theater. And I believe after the film premiered, the screen came up and Metric was behind the screen and they did a, a, a live number of a couple of their songs in that premiere. So that was, I, I know people that went to that Comic-Con that always have that memory from one of their favorite Comic-Con memories, because it has to be, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. I'm, all I'm going to say that's going to come up later <laughs> on the song section, that Comic-Con <laughs> right. performance. But yeah, I do remember you were a very, very defender of, I mean, not defender, like I, I you and I and, oh, yeah. you know, the people that we yeah. knew like love this movie from the get-go. But yeah, it was, yeah. it came out in September, right? Yeah, it was a, a, a late yeah, it was kind of late like, August, early September. It was at the end of summer, dog days of of summer, and I remember I took a lot of 
crap for my review because I loved it. <laughs> and people then went to watch it and they, you know, they replied back. This is one of the worst pieces of, you know, I have ever seen. And I don't have all that. Wow. Too bad for you, man. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have taste. <laughs> well, there's a lot to talk about. But before we get to the song, we have to talk about the movie. And even before we talk about the movie... You guessed that we have to talk about our overlords. Yeah. Patrons of the Patreon. Yes, we have to give a special shout out to the people who help us the most to make and grow the show. That's our Patreon supporters. Some OG supporters here from season one. We've got David from the Vinyl Score. You might recognize him from a couple of our episodes. We got Robert M., Darlene, Viones, Melly G., Ralph, Eric, and Mario himself. So (laughs) become a Patreon supporter for season two and receive some cool perks like access to exclusive episodes called Needle Drops, like the episode that you're listening to now. That's where we cover pre-existing songs used in films. During season one, we also put a lot of Needle Drop episodes out on the main feed. But for season two, this is the only one that we're putting out on the main feed. It's a sneaky little preview. So So far, that's the plan. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, in addition to some other cool perks, you'll really help us out with being able to provide high quality episodes for free on a biweekly basis. I mean, the patrons of the Patreon are the coolest people I know. So if you want to become (laughs) one, just search the song will go on on patreon.com and become a supporter. Now, this is a tradition here at the song will go on. Before we talk about the song, we have to talk about... Hey, I'm sure patrons of the Patreon know what I'm about to say. <laughs> yes, you guessed it. It's creator of the movie. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. And before we go to the movie, Sophie, just do your thing and set up that movie for us. All right. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is a 2010 romantic action comedy film co-written, produced, and directed by Edgar Wright is based on the graphic novel series Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley. It stars Michael Sarah as the eponymous Scott Pilgrim, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, and Brie Larson, among others. Among others. Among yeah. a, many others. Many others. Yeah. We'll get to that. But we, you know, we can't be here all day. So, in the film, 22-year-old Scott Pilgrim, who's a bassist in a garage rock band, immediately falls for a mysterious roller skating delivery girl named Ramona Flowers. When he pursues dating her, she reveals they can only be together if he defeats her seven evil exes, who will stop at nothing to prevent Ramona and Scott from being together. The journey to get the film made was a long one. After Wright's 2004 film, Shaun of the Dead, he was approached by Universal Studios to direct the movie. In 2005, Michael Bacall, who would go on to write 21 Jump Street, the the movie, not the TV show, (laughs) and Project X joined to co-write the screenplay. Casting, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Casting took place between 2008 and 2010. So because of how long pre-production took, a lot of relatively unknown actors who were cast early in the process had actually found some success in other projects by the time the movie premiered. Uh, so for example, Anna Kendrick auditioned before she shot Twilight and Aubrey Plaza was cast before Funny People and Parks and Recreation came out. And Chris Evans too, right? He was Captain America... Uh, after this was after this was released, right? That's right. But he'd definitely been on the scene for a little while before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even remember I, he was in the movie The Losers and stuff. And I mean, yeah. even even uh, the flame. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was even torch. Even torch and stuff. Right, yeah. right. 
The film has a pretty rad soundtrack, of course, that's why we're here. Beck wrote the music for Scott Pilgrim's band, Sex Bobomb, and Metric was used as the basic for Scott's ex-girlfriend's band, fronted by Brie Larson, whose character was loosely based on Metric's lead singer, Emily Haynes. So, Sex Bobomb wasn't the only bomb here, because oh. this, <laughs> because oh, that's this, a low blow. <laughs> this movie was a box office failure. It had a budget of somewhere between 60 and 85 million, depending on what source you look at on the internet. <laughs> and it made 39.3 million. I remember him being really bummed out that, mo- that the movie didn't do well, especially for this one. But I think it's, uh, it's a requirement for most cult movies to be box office bombs. It's so true. it's in the ingredients. So yeah, yeah. it had to happen. If, it's go- if, it's, if it was going to acquire such a cult following, it couldn't be this uh, massive success. Mm-hmm. Michael Sarah actually weighed in on why the movie may have flopped. And he said it was a difficult film to market. So it was a movie that people were slow to discover. Yeah. And, and it came out in a bad time. So I, I, I can, when, when did it came out? September? Was well, that's the thing September? also. September is just not like a great, it, it's like January is the worst movie yeah. movie month. It's like the, the trash. But September is kind of like the secondary trash. Like, yeah, the, the release has a lot to do with it. I think a movie like Scott Pilgrim, you put it out today. The smart move by the studio, by Universal, would have been to release it in a film festival, perhaps, like uh, South by Southwest, where it could get yeah. a lot of buzz. They're doing that uh, right now, this I mean, weekend, while we're recording. Everything, everywhere, all at once. South yeah. by Southwest, a premiere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say... It's kind of a similar movie in the sense that it's very genre-driven, stylistic, yeah. but that's what I was thinking about the trailers. Is that I can't imagine just, like, it's such eye candy visually for me that I can't imagine, like, looking at that trailer and be like, Oh, that looks boring. So that, it's just such a conundrum. Like, what happened? But So, yes, to, to Paolo's point, this film definitely embraces its comic book roots and pays homage to video games. So the result is a magical realism action comedy, uh, which, like I said before, it's sort of hard to encapsulate that in a two-minute movie trailer. Uh, however, it, it did not go completely unnoticed. It was shortlisted for Best Visual Effects at the 83rd Academy Awards, and people did ultimately discover the movie, uh, thanks to people like Mario with their amazing reviews. <laughs> uh, and it did garner a cult following and was even re-released for its 10th anniversary. So anyway, let's get back to talking about it. <laughs> Thanks, Sophie, for rolling with us, like, <laughs> trying to steer you away. I got distracted, too. <laughs> Mario. Sorry for that very long interruption. <laughs> Mario, the mic is yours. We have to um, ask you, your, yeah. you know, we already know, I think, your connection to this. But, like, is this something, I know that this might have been something that was on your radar because you and I were both, I mean, like a lot of people, fans of Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, like Edgar Wright. So that's, to me, what I was thinking it's like it's a new Edgar Wright movie but yeah I, I didn't I didn't have any awareness of the material what about you I read the Brian Lee O'Malley uh, comic books after I saw the movie like you I thought it was a new Edgar I only knew that it was a new Edgar Wright movie I know knew it was based on a comic book but I purposely did not read it until after seeing it because I didn't want to be I, I don't like to compare films to the original material if I can uh, while watching them because then I'm distracted by trying to say, oh, they did this good, right. 
they did this wrong. So I wanted to watch it with a fresh mind. But I think what's so captivating uh, to me about the film, it's like it's a perfect capsule of its time. Uh, 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 it, it, it captures pop culture, 2000 pop culture and 90s pop culture. And it just perfectly packages it in, in, in this brilliant movie because it is brill brilliantly told. It is expertly edited. I was my jaw is on the floor every time I watch this film, and I perhaps I find I discover a new cut that I didn't realize that was happening between one scene and the other. Edgar Wright is so agile, and even after making a Shaun of the Dead, which I I'm sure we all love, I think this is the movie in which he really started flexing those stylistic muscles because he had a higher budget. That's part of why the film was a, a flop. They gave him more of a budget than what he had with focus features for uh, Shaun of the Dead. And he hadn't done Hot Fuzz by this time, did he? I can't recall when Hot Fuzz was released. so, right? I, I always check, felt like... Check, yeah. Let me check, let me check. I always <laughs> felt like Hot Fuzz was his second film and this was the third one. That wasn't Hot Fuzz like 2008? I Yeah, I'm, I'm searching. 2007. Hot Fuzz 2007. was 2007. Okay. So, yeah, he, he had made Hot Fuzz. He had made Shaun of the Dead. But this one, I think he really, really loved this material. And after reading it, I cannot imagine any director doing a better job with translating it to the screen. And I don't know if... Uh, If it was the time, I don't know what happened in 2010. I know the timing was awful in terms of when it was released, but maybe the, the Marvel craze was just growing and people were, were expecting something else from their comic book, quote unquote, movies. And this one has such a unique structure because it is in its heart. It's a romantic movie. It's a romantic comedy. It only has all these video games and comic book and action elements that complements it so well. So it's not really, it's very hard to make publicity for something that does not go inside one specific marketing box for the studio. So they don't know what to do with it. I think throughout this past decade, maybe studios have gotten a little bit more uh, more knowledgeable about how to market a film like this. But back in 2010, they just didn't know what to do with it. You know, I like what you said about the VFX because it really makes sense. It's almost like Hot Fuzz because Hot Fuzz is very stylistic when you compare it to yeah. Shaun of the Dead. But Hot Fuzz is almost like stylistic in a... It's almost like Edgar Wright did Hot Fuzz with Adobe Premiere and then mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Scott Pilgrim with After Effects. You know, they're both stylistic, <laughs> exactly, but like this yeah. one actually has very VFX. Very niche joke. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> That's a joke for like five people listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but it's like when they write, uh, I recently rewatched uh, Ang Lee's uh, Hulk movie. That you, that it didn't whoa. get those many great reviews when it came out in 2003, I believe. We're still coming out of that Spider-Man, X-Men craze, and comic books movies were good now. And then Hulk came out and Ang Lee just watched. He, he took a comic book and he said, "Okay, how can I translate the language of a comic book to screen? And I think he did an excellent job. That movie is also very, very well edited. And it has all these panels and comic strips coming along the screen. And I remember it was laughed at at the time for trying to do that. But I think Edgar Wright follows that same model and, and tries to bring out what's cool about 
the video games and the graphics and all these exclamation marks and all these things that you see in the written page. And that's what makes it so kinetic and so alive. That's the thing. If I just, I'm thinking 2008 was the dark night, meaning yeah. we were like, our comic book movies are serious. We're serious about yes. this. And yes. doing panels at that time might have been sort of like maybe what's what was kind of not cliche, but like expected. Like it wasn't that versus when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse comes out, we're so tired about series. Then all of that stylistic thing is like, oh my God, we're so ready for it because mm -hmm. we're just like over like this. This is yeah. way too and, serious. And it's, uh, and it's incredible that still today, like 13 years later, they're still not pursuing that. And I think we're right at that point where I think studios and creatives in, in with, with regards to adapting comic book comic books should really think about I mean we're we're at the perfect time to bring back silly comic books like Batman 66 we I, I really wish that someone in the new James Gunn era of Warner Brothers would think like let's go back to the 60s let's do something silly fun yeah. comic book Batman is so drab and I mean I loved the Batman last year I think it was a great film but Comic books can also be fun and silly. Yeah, it doesn't what, have also serious. Wasn't there like a rumor to do like a spin-off of Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse with like the Nick Cage film noir Spider-Man? Yeah, the, oh. but that, that's Sony. Sony wants to do anything they can to keep milking Spider-Man. Well, I mean, yeah, you gotta though, but... <laughs> All right, Sophie, so I'm so curious what you have to say because you always surprise me with this question. Uh, but what is your connection to Scott Pilgrim? Um, this came out of... I think you were around the same age of the characters in this film right this is like a, an amazing age to watch this film for you yeah that's true i was in college when this came out and me and all of my film school friends ate it up like yeah. we loved it yeah F yeah 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 we loved it uh you had you had cool friends yeah <laughs> looking at it 10 years on there are definitely some things that you know i could pick at uh just from you know, story standpoints, like maybe a 22 year old shouldn't be waiting outside of a high school to talk to his girlfriend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's not aged well. At right. All. <laughs> yeah. Only Michael, Sarah, Michael Sarah could get away with it. I, guess. <laughs> Grimm, it I, I watched this recently, like, I mean, January, we were staying at a hotel at the southwest end of the island and it was just a Netflix. And I said, sure, I'll watch Scott Pilgrim again. And I just wanted to have it like a background noise while watching it. And I just saw the whole thing. And Scott Pilgrim is kind of a dick. He's a, <laughs> that yeah, was my takeaway. Kind of a terrible kind of? person. Yeah. He is. Like, he is. I, mean, I, wanted to, I wanted to throw it at you to see if you agreed. But yeah, he's a yes. dick. <laughs> but it's on purpose, though. That's, that's what he, he learns at the end of the movie. Like that's his, his journey to sort of like he like he's the one making all the mistakes. Like Ramona... Although on first view, you, you might think, oh, she's a, but she's actually remorse about her, her past and her relationship. She's the one who's already grown. It's Scott Pilgrim that's doing what Ramona used to do to people in a sense. And he's, he's the character that changes the most. Right. Yeah. yeah. This also, this movie came out during the height of, and excuse me for the term, I don't have a better one to use. But the manic pixie dream girl craze, oh, like yeah. this, was like the height of it. The and 500 Days of Summer, exactly. And Elizabeth Town and mm -hmm. all those, yeah. So that was definitely where we were at, <laughs> movie wise. And at the time, I loved it because I 
wanted to be like these mysterious wounded bird of a girl that was the star in all these movies. And uh, it's just it just wasn't me. It wasn't relatable. And then once I figured that out about about myself, that was my personal (laughs) journey. (laughs) Uh, These movies don't really hit home as much for me. I remember when someone explained to me Manny Pixie Dream Girl, and I was like, oh, shit, that's... Um, that's every movie I like? That's yeah. every movie I like, and every that's actress so that I like, movies. and every... I'm like, I feel like such a... Uh, are are there any Manny Pixie Dream Girls you forgive or that you still like? Because for me, it would be Clementine in Eternal so, Sunshine of the Spotless well, Mind. For, for me, it's more like the movie is being told from the male point of view. So we're not yeah. actually getting a real representation of who these girls are. Like in yeah. 500 Days of Summer, that's the entire point of that movie, which I mean, mm-hmm. we're not here to talk about 500 Days of Summer, but as an example. <laughs> uh, so I just, that that too cool for school girl who it's like, what is she thinking? Oh my God. It's like, well, why don't you ask? <laughs> but it's why i love knives as a character in this movie like she wears her heart on her sleeve you always know exactly how she's thinking and feeling and i think that her journey is maybe even more interesting than scott's and, and she's way more mature than scott yeah like yeah way more mature he only likes her because she's old she's probably like 25 just the fattest white girl, you know? I think you mentioned she was fat. She's got a head start. I mean, I didn't even know there was good music until like two months ago. Hey, this really burns. You should rinse. When I got this idea, I just thought, I have to do it! I can't hear anything you're saying. Oh, God, I look so good. And I mean, I think the movie is pointing that out on purpose. Everyone is ragging on Scott for being with this younger girl, but she's actually the more mature one between the two. But couldn't you say that Ramona is like an anti-Manny Pixie dream girl? Because she's sort of like, like she doesn't really quite fall in those traps or she's always like resistant. I don't know. She just seems like a character like going through something rather than what you said. If you compare it to like summer and 100, you know, days of summer. I, th- I think I think the problem with that is that Ramona starts like the object of desire from for Scott Pilgrim. And then by the end, when she's starting maybe to become her own person, she becomes uh the Princess Toadstone in, in Mario mm-hmm. world because he he she falls under yeah. Gideon. You're right, uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then she's just a captive and right. he has to go rescue her from from him. Which is why I'm so psyched that Knives like gets to participate, you know? She's not just on the sidelines of this. I mean, I don't remember, but I think in the comic book, Scott Pilgrim ends up with knives. I'd have to look it up. It's been that was also the original it. ending of this movie, and they changed it. Um, yeah. I think it makes, I think it's, it's better for Knives' growth <laughs> to say, yes, like, I'm yes. okay without being with you. You go get your, your girl or something, you know. I have a question for you both. I'll, I'll start with Mario. Is this the best video game movie? Ooh, that's a very short list. Um, I know, uh, I know. Here, like, think about it. I, I know it's not yeah, adapted it's not an from a video game. Having said no, that, but, does it do a better job at celebrating video games than any other yeah. movie we've seen? Yeah, totally. It it follows 
video game logic very consistently and it does it very well. And I've always made this argument that the best video gamey movies, not necessarily adaptations, are this one <laughs> and the other one are Crank. Have you seen Crank by uh, Jason uh, Statham? No, the, 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 what's its name? The, the bold guy. Fast. No, I haven't yeah, seen it. Uh, yes, oh, uh, I didn't, I didn't Statham. know that was, that was adapted from a video game. They're not adapted from a oh, video oh, game. Oh, they're not, but it feels okay. But it feels they like a video follow game. video game logic because the, the logic in, in those movies, the first one is that he gets this uh, something implanted in his heart that he constantly yeah, yeah, needs yeah. to keep pumping adrenaline, adrenaline or he'll die. So it's video game logic. He has to keep going, <laughs> doing crazy things so he doesn't die. Mm -hmm. And it's really crazy and fun. But when you try to adapt a video game, it's, it's usually a failure. I think the best one to have done it by now, it's not even a movie. It's The Last of Us. And we just saw it on HBO Max. And that's because the video game was already so cinematic and it's storytelling that they didn't didn't have to do that much to bring it to the screen well i gotta give a shout out to my 90s moral combat i have a soft spot for that movie you know it's not good but it sure gave us what we wanted at that time which is just fights and a really cool like moral combat song which by the way future pot on i don't know might be yeah. Uh, what, so what do you think about like the video game aspect of the movie? Did you enjoy that? Was that like a thing? I did enjoy it because what was nice is that it's not an adaptation of a single game. I don't need to know the ins and outs of World of Warcraft to to get the joke. You know, I just need to know tropes about arcade style video yeah. games. And I think tonally, stylistically, you get it almost immediately. It crosses over really well with comic books so yeah i think that this is the most successful so video video game movie a second question for both of you is this a better video game movie or is this a better music movie mm. like what is better represented in this movie because i flip-flop i don't know like i like part of me thinks well no it's not uh, yeah video game is good but this is actually like a great indie rock movie well, like uh, it captures what? so well like what's like to have a band in high school your friends into the band in high school the battle of the bands everything the i dated this person now they're on another band and all that stuff. i just feel like man is it almost a better music movie than a video game movie i don't know mario what do you think i don't think about scott pilgrim versus the world as a m music movie I think I associated more with video games, even though it has a killer soundtrack. But most of the thing, it's, right it's not, films have a killer soundtrack. But so. it's not that just like the soundtrack is a killer. It I think it. I honestly think like I, I would put it in categories of movies like Almost Famous and stuff like that, where it's just like it kind of captures a certain like quality. band movies, like rock band movies. Yeah, yeah, just like a certain aspect of 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 bands or music or rock or you know just. I think it, I don't know, I, as someone who had a band in high school, like it, you know, it really felt, it hit home in that yeah, sense. Yeah, prob probably, probably for me it's because the plot is, does not go around the yeah, band. You're right. It's about, yeah. it's about Ramona and the evil exes and trying to fight them all. So I don't think I would, I, I don't, I don't think about it so much as a music movie because the music is there and the music is great, but it's, it's not about the band at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, if I'm describing this movie to someone, I'm not going to be talking about the bands necessarily. I'm going to say it's the movie where 
he has to defeat the seven evil exes and it's kind of video game style. I, I, ironically, and I'm going to throw this question out to you after I answer it. My favorite fight fight in the movie from the seven evil exes is a sex bomb against the Karayanagi twins. That oh, I yeah. not my favorite. love it's good. that fight. I mean, the, when, when it's the battle of the bands and then the, the music becomes animation and it, this, this kaiju fight between the two-headed dragon and the snow monster or the yeti or whatever you want to call it, it's amazing. We are Sex Bob-Bomb and we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. This is the beginning of the song. What, what is your favorite fight? Oh, film? the Battle of the Bass. The battle at the Clash at Demon Head. Hall. What, what is yeah. it? What's head? It called? Demon Clash head? at Demon Head. Yeah. 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 <laughs> which, which, by the way, absolutely like someone make a, a fake merch of a concert t-shirt from that i would absolutely buy that in it like oh it, it totally exist. already exists oh it exists it oh, has yeah, to. yeah 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 it but must. Th that, that's my favorite uh it's just so unexpected and i love i mean kind of the same reasons you love the other one i just love the style when he's like in the dark he starts playing the bass and you get that d note coming d, 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 and d. also like the super <laughs> saiyan quality to top when he goes there but also like the the music composition of it like writing two bass lines that are complementing each other and and it's, i i like I, I love that that's my favorite battle but He knocked the highlights out of her head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have my last question, and then I guess we can move on to some discussion if you guys want to. But I have a question for you, Sov, and Mario too, but I'll start with Sov. Okay. Is this cast the equivalent of the break Breakfast Club for millennials? Hmm. Are we, is this the, like the defining cast of, I don't know, 2010s? I know it's so hard to like think about that on the top of my head, but it's just like, it's hard to argue because yeah, the obvious Chris Evans, Captain America, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, Brie Larson. And I mean, even the guy who played Superman returns, uh, Todd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were like superheroes. Yeah. But shit, fast forward present day, Aubrey Plaza, White Lotus 2, the Culkin, um yeah succession here in Culkin yeah yeah so it's not just like uh blockbuster stuff you know I think Michael Sarah at this point had already the bulk of his like I feel like after this he started to not be not have high profile movie as he did before this yeah he did a lot of independent movies he went he went down to Chile and made I think two movies with a director down there Oh. One was Cactus something. What was that movie called? You keep talking while... Yeah, I don't remember that one. I remember, like, I think Youth and Revolt was after this, maybe. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, Nick and Nora yeah. also. Yeah. Nick and Nora and Molly's Game. He has a very brief cameo in, in Twin Peaks, The Return. He did the voice for Sausage uh, Party. But mm, right. he did... Yeah. It, was, uh, it was Crystal Fairy y el Cactus Magico and the Magic Cactus. 
Huh. He did both of those. I didn't he, know about he, that, that one. That was in 2013. It's a very weird, uh, trippy drug movie down in, in Chile. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. It's really crazy. Yeah, I can't deny that all of the people in this movie have gone on to do some really incredible things. But I don't know if I could take it to breakfast club level. Like That was just a, a chemistry. It was just lightning in a bottle with all those yeah. people together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the, those five people in the room. And, and it's not like Emilio Estevez had a brick career after that film. Uh, th- these guys in Scott Pilgrim, I think they, all of them, you can, you're still watch the, watching them around. Anna Kendrick, Alison Peel, we haven't mentioned Alison Peel, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Jason Schwartzman. I mean, this cast was packed and whoever that's why i always think that they should give an academy awards to casting directors yeah because they do a great job of finding all these people at the right time yeah but i but i will say being around you know just exiting my teens getting into my 20s and seeing this movie like i i did feel like i was seeing people that i knew on screen which is something that i think i mean not that I was there at the time, but what teenagers during the Breakfast Club generation were feeling when they were seeing those people on screen. Oh, like they that. felt so very real. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. such a good point. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Black Sheep by Metric from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. back with more the song will go on and it's time for our main event of the night it's black sheep by metric from the 2010 film scott pilgrim versus the world and sylphie once again let's set up that song so we can start dissecting this thing all right black sheep is a song by canadian rock band metric which appears in scott pilgrim versus the world of course Metric was formed in 1998 as a duo between vocalist Emily Haynes and guitarist James Shaw, though the band was expanded later. They've released eight studio albums to date, with their most popular being Fantasies in 2009, which includes tracks like Help I'm Alive, Gimme Sympathy, and Gold Gun Girls. Black Sheep was originally recorded for this album, and the group had been performing it live for years, but it wasn't included on this studio album because, according to Haynes, it too obviously reflected the band's sound. I, I, I don't... Which is a very I, I, interesting critique. I don't critique. understand her, but what, it's her, <laughs> no, it's her band, I, whatever. But. More on that later. More on that later, but <laughs> hint, that's why it's a needle drop. We're covering it, not an original. In the film, the fictional band The Clash of Demon Head performs the song at a concert, and Black Sheep is sung by Envy Adams, played by Brie Larson. Great name, Envy Adams, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Larson lends her vocals for the movie version, 
And she herself actually had a short-lived music career as a teenager with her one and only album entitled Finally Out of P.E. released in 2005. Before you guys, she was... 14 at the time. Let's, let's, <laughs> she had know. an album. That's new. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Let's cut her some break. And then no. I, I, I have, I'll come to Bree's defense because I have some sound bites here that. Yeah. I'm not saying it like that. I'm just but saying she's th- not a stranger look, like, to like singing and performing. You said it, but you were thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Larson's version was not included on the original soundtrack, much to fans' disappointment. According to Wright, Metric requested that their version be included on the soundtrack instead. However, we got the best of both worlds ultimately for the 10th anniversary re-release when both versions appeared on the soundtrack. And I want to hear what you two think. Now that we have the movie version, which one are you listening to? We got to start with Mario. I want to go back to Sophie's question. I'll just do a parenthesis. And Mario, I just want to get your relationship because we, you know, we talked about Scott Pilgrim, how much you loved it as, as a film critic, how much you defended it at the time and wrote about it, all that stuff. What about the song? Like, what was your relationship with it? I mean, I can say that I have like a huge relationship with it. I, I dig it. I like it. It was on, it is, it's been since 2010 on my soundtrack playlist in whichever uh, music app I'm listening to. My son who is now 15 years old, knows it, knows the lyrics to the song since he was, uh, what, three, four years old? He sang it along in the car because it was, and he liked it. He liked the way that it started. And of course, the one he knows is the one that was in the original soundtrack, which is the metric original song. And he Mm. knows how that song starts, like Black Sheep, Come On. So it's this crescendo that keeps getting higher and higher until the song kicks in. And but if I had to pick a favorite version, I don't know, man. I really like the real Larson cover. <laughs> Pause there. Yeah, I'm gonna sorry. play us some samples so we okay. can. Okay, go ahead. Because because uh, that's what where I thought we were started. It's like this is if you go to YouTube comments, which one do you like more? So let's go. Which one do we like more? Let's start with a little bit of metric version. Hello again, friend of a friend. All right, let's do the same, but real Larson this time. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. I mean, and there's more to the song. Obviously, I can only play like some amount yeah. of clips. But uh, Sophie, let's get you in on this. It's tough for me to answer because, of course, I'm more familiar with the movie version, having mm-hmm. been introduced to it through the movie. When I hear this song, I just think about that scene with Brie yeah. Larson singing yeah. it. And it's a very different vocal performance. She's, sound, she's a lot more forceful and in your face. And I think that that is the character that she's portraying. So I respond to that version better. That being said, I totally had a metric phase uh, with, with my own you know, music taste. Like Help I'm Alive is probably the metric song that I know the best. But nice. to me, this song is is Scott Pilgrim. Like that's that's who owns this song now. I have to say, I think I'm on the Brie Larson side. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, by the way, isn't I feel like it's kind of a steamy version. The Brie Larson is the steamy version, and I think that just comes with how she plays her character in the film. And look, I here's let's 
let's get to the bottom of, the, of this. Here's Brie Larson talking about her approach to the character, which might enlighten us in terms of her performance in the song. This is the truth and it's really crazy. So I was staying up way too late, flipping through the channels and I stumbled on the adult video awards and I was watching the red carpet and I was watching these women with this like confidence and this just like allure and they were so great at like their self-promotion. I was like, that's it. That's what I'm gonna do. Your hair is getting shaggy? Yeah. So, that's Ramona. Yeah. Okay, I'm jealous. <laughs> You're jealous? I'm allowed. You left me for that cocky pretty boy. <laughs> You've never even seen him. Yeah, I know. You left me for a guy I've never even seen. Maybe you'll see him soon. We're playing a show at Least Palace you should like. So, totally come. <laughs> <laughs> that's so not gonna happen. Great. You're so on the list. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's not like I do prefer the Brie Larson version, but it's not because her vocal performance is better than the metric. It's just it's a package deal. It's the movie scene. It's the character. It's what it does to that movie. It, it, it's everything I associate with that performance. If I wanted to go to a rock concert and rock out, yes, I would like the metric version more. I think there's also um, listening listening to the both the clips you played of the of comparing both songs, the guitar in the Scott Pilgrim version sounds a little bit grungier. Uh, really? Oh. I I believe so. It's 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 it does not sound the same as the Metric original version. It sounds I don't want to say trashier, but it sounds like more robust. The guitar it, it's it in the mix it sounds a little bit higher. Than the original, I think Metric's version. It's I don't want to say it's more poppy. It's not. It's not. It's not pop because it's still a rock song. But I mm -hmm. think the it, maybe this is just my mind playing games on me because I I watch the scene in my head every time that it's playing and I know Brie Larson's routine. I know this step she does with her legs when when the camera is down from uh, Scott's perspective looking up at her and it's also her attitude she's so dry and so direct i mean she's singing yeah. it mm -hmm. because she hates scott and she knows he's in the audience <laughs> so it has a little bit more purpose in that performance it is a performance in the sense that she's not only singing she's also acting the performance right this is why i love youtube because of <laughs> course someone created a mixed version where they put the metric version on the left channel and Brie on the right channel. Oh my God. <laughs> and of course we have a little bit. Hello again, friend of a friend. Brand new, you Our common goal was waiting for the world to Thing. when i listen to that i like the metric version more like I, that's the thing like i like i think emily of voice has like more textures more interesting it's kind of a mind trip listen to like two yeah. different vocals on yeah 
Yeah, it's almost indiscernible when you're listening to both at the same time. <laughs> That's how good I know. It is. I was, I, you know, listening to it in headphones, uh, which I would recommend people yeah, doing. Yeah, you gotta to, yeah. to really get it. I was even like, wait, is she, who's on the right? Who's on the left? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Pepsi challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about obviously the song Metric wrote here. I have a theory, and I want to see what you both think, but. This might be the greatest song written for a one-song performance. I'm talking like something like a late night show or SNL performance. Like you just got to play what song and you got to go. Hmm. And it's because how the song starts. It's this perfect intro. Which it, it just has such a great buildup. And then it explodes with these small bursts of energy building up to that chorus release. But here's the thing. I also think it's too good of a song to be like the first song from like a full concert set. If I went to go see Metric and they play this first, I'd be like, shit, what now? So that's why I think it's just like perfect for this. just like one performance. And then you're just off the stage. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But like also you have to open the show with this because of that build up with the, oh, yeah. Like, that's you know, the thing. Like, like you, you have can't, to like, you open can't, with Like that. how do you, I mean, I think... If I was a metric and I was like organizing their set list, this would be the song you play like after you come back from intermission or something. But it can't be just like the first. It's too good. It's like one of the perhaps their most famous song. If you know one of them. For me, well, it's an it's... encore song. I think it's the first encore Ooh, song. An encore. You get it, up it's, the stage. It's, uh, it's not yeah, yeah. the last song of the concert, but it's like the first one you play in the encore part of the mm. set. Maybe you play three more or two more after this, and this is the one that you return to stage with. Yeah, so you leave the stage, and then yeah. you start hearing it, and then yeah. they're like, oh, are they going to come out again? And then... Which is... And then you, yeah. Yes. Mario, going back to what you say about that Comic-Con performance, I thought it was... Again, this is like, it's kind of like perfect for that kind of setting. But the hilarious thing is, I don't know if you've seen the video of that performance on YouTube. Anyone listening, I would encourage you because it is also really absolutely batshit funny because the crowd is just like pure zombie. I haven't seen them. Uh, like someone, there was a YouTuber who said, uh, what was the comment? He was like, great seeing Metric perform in front of the Watching Dead or something. There's huh. just like, like they're just standing there and Metric's just absolutely rocking out, giving a fire performance. And they're just like, uh. Well, these like, are all like, comic the- book geeks. Like they probably stand <laughs> I at concerts. They I probably don't I dance at concerts. That, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, anyway, it's super funny YouTube. I have not seen the video and I don't think I want to now. <laughs> 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 I mean, all I was thinking is also maybe thank God that Metric didn't perform their acustic version of this in that crowd because oh, no. have you guys heard it the acoustic there's an acoustic version of this song mm-hmm. yeah I, and i have and I not have, heard it you I have a clip have, oh for sure i mean how would i tease that that for you <laughs> like you know go listen to it but what was i thinking and here's something for you Mario, because i know you love this as a film critic this festival it was performed at tiff oh really as a that part year? of like a, on 2010 it's like tiff youtube channel and they have like oh, a performance okay. in like a projection uh a film projection room and stuff anyway here's the acoustic version send you my love on the wire lift you up every time everyone not bad 
Yeah, it's not it's not my favorite. It doesn't have the the energy, wow. but yeah. you know, I'm glad it exists. I'm very sorry to say, but like I did not dig that. Yeah, I know it's I a very, going, it was a very I short. I never like clip. to say anything, but it's it's not it's not the best version. But the the main appeal for me is that it's a. A it's a banger. Song. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a banger. Going to that Tiff performance, she does like a intro to that song. And Sophie, you said this on your song setup, but why are we doing this as a, as a needle drop? And let's just hear Emily explain that. Crazy story because Brian, the incredible graphic artist who made this story, came up with this band, which weirdly, sort of flatteringly and insultingly is based mm -hmm. on metric. It's sort of like a nightmare version of us. Edgar reached out to us and said, hey, I'd love to have you do a song for this film. And we were game. And weirdly, we had just finished Fantasies and we had exactly that song. It was this song, Black Sheep, that just didn't fit on Fantasies. And we felt that we didn't know what to do with. And we said, I think we have the thing for you. And we played it to Edgar and he called us and was just like, how is this possible that this song is so suited to the film? So I learned something today. Yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe we should re-explore that quote from her that was that it was too indicative of Metric's sound. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the the movie soundtrack producer Neil Godrick actually kind of like dove into that a little bit further. And here's here's a quote from him. It's a very common criticism when you're making records. You say, well, this sounds like somebody trying to be us, but that was perfect for this film. It's not metric. It's a shadow of metric. Mm hmm. So then, with, with oh, that explanation, the song I, is black I, cheap. Ooh, I don't know. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, I love that, Sophie. I love where you're going with this. Yeah, so it just seems like uh, when I first read that quote from her, I thought, well, why is that a, a bad thing sounding like yourself? But when maybe it's too on the nose, <laughs> yeah. you then it's sort of like, where do we go from here? But knowing that this band is based on sort of, like she said, the nightmare version of the trick that having this song from them, it, like, I'm just happy that this song found a home because ironically... It didn't make it onto their most popular album, but it's probably their most popular song. Ten years old. Can you guys believe, like, Black Ship is ten years old? I don't... Like, does it sound like it's it's ten years old? I mean, what is time? What is time? Time is a construct. And, and after the pandemic, time just slowed down even more. So when you think about it, ten years, yeah, it does feel long. But I don't think it has aged at all. I mean, if I listen to that song, if it comes up in one of my playlists, I'm going to blast that radio <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, that's in a, my car. Right. That's that's my initial thought. It was like, I mean, this comes out today. It, does, it sounds like a song from today, but it's more than 10 years. And again, if you were in the 90s, like think if you were 1998 and a song yeah. in 1988, like that's a difference. And it just doesn't feel like that. But then I, I, I kind of kept thinking more. I do think there are some parts that sound from that era, and here are some of them here. I'm going to play a little bit of, like, the metric first, and then, like, what it sounds from that era, cool in, but... That's Black Sheep. Frank's Ferdinand, take me out. It was, like, a similar language back then, you know? Like yeah. sound from from that era, yeah, yeah, and 
Yeah, and, and, and also, one, to me, what really, really, really puts it in that era for me is, like, the dance indie rock trend that I feel like it was part of that era where, like, every rock band from, I don't know, 2004, 2010, it just, like, have to be, like, catchy, dancey rhythm. Yeah. yeah. Like, here, let me let me play some stuff. That chorus, which is, like, obviously the... the this is what sounds from, like, that era. Yeah, just just like rock from that era. I was like, Interpol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. That's the only thing I could come up with. Like bands, alternative rock nowadays. It's not that interested in having you dance to their rock but at that time that was a thing yeah um i mean i was going to say but especially in light of of you playing those clips it does sound like it is of the time yeah that's not a bad thing no 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 and, no, no, no. And, I'm not, that's the thing i'm not criticizing yeah. it but it's just like it kind of takes you I, it's just like the to me it was what i was saying like 1998 to 88 it's more of a stark difference between nowadays it's it's a more blurry and you have to like, I feel like I had to like really like think about it two, three or four times to then kind of pinpoint some stuff. But it's not as just a straight cut as, oh yeah, that was the 80s, that's the 90s. Yeah, it does sound a little bit, now that you mention it and you, all, you show all those clips, it also reminds me a little bit of what the killers uh, do. Oh yeah, songs. Mr. Brightside, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's, a it's a it's a it's a dance rock song because you listen to it and you want to get up and you want to move. Part of the reason why I didn't really dig the acoustic version is because the those like guitar slams. Oh yeah, and yeah. the way that the movie edits, <laughs> like they cut on those slams to all the different characters, it just it's what really makes this scene so iconic and just really marries this song with this movie to me. First of all, this is basically our our introduction to Envy and like what a way to get to know a character. And we get to know her in terms of her relationship to all the people who are watching the performance in this awesome scene. That's just the editing is just perfect. I mean, Mario, as a film critic, I'm going to throw it like a very film critic -y question. But is there a better director you can think of nowadays? Uh, on how he uses music specifically, like in his film that Edgar Wright, because yeah, Quentin Tarantino, I think he's like really great as a curator and he uses it, but like, yeah, Tarantino doesn't correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't necessarily do that kind of like things that Edgar Wright does to music with like the editing or or cutting, like I don't know, and what, what was the uh, the driving one? Um, Baby driver. The, the, uh, baby driver. Yeah, baby driver. Just like synchronization, I would say. Uh, that, I mean, that, that's what I was looking for. Synchronization of music to film. Baby driver is basically a musical. It's an action yeah. musical. Yeah. That, that film is such, it has such a great uh, uh, use of music in the way that it's editing. And that's something that Edgar Wright does better than anyone currently because Tarantino like you said he's a great curator he's an expert in bringing old 
old songs that are not the old songs that everybody else used when they go to the 70s or the mm. 60s. You know, they will play the same overused songs that you listen to in every Vietnam era movie. And Tarantino is really good at tapping at that uh, old jukebox and bringing out those uh, deep cuts that they're not uh, so much in the in the collective consciousness. Paul Thomas Anderson is also good at that. But when it comes mm -hmm. down to I'm going to use this music to edit the scene. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no one that does it better. No one. And even in, in movies, I, I was not such a huge fan of Last Night in Soho. But I mean, that dance number exactly. with the edit. You can't that, deny. Come, come on. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's an excellent shot. Uh, scene. So, yeah, really, there's nobody. Maybe now I would say someone that's and he's still that honing those skills, uh, but Jordan Peele has done some really good things mm. with music lately. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Us. Yeah. Us, the I Got Five. Yeah. yeah. I mean, his, his soundtracks are always very iconic. He's an expert in remixing old songs, but he's still, he uses, he uses them really well. Yeah. He uses score a lot. That's yeah. the thing. Where says Edgar Wright. It, he just uses I soundtracks. Mean, he loves soundtracks. I mean, is I, there I, I an love, Edgar Wright movie with an original score? I don't recall any. The Hot Fuzz David Arnold. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But still, like, as someone who loves Edgar Wright, who loves film scores, I don't And he wants I, an I action film score. To, and that you know, movie needs an action film score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't listen to, to, you know, he's, I don't, his films don't contain, like, uh, scores that I necessarily, um, Last night in Soho, I think also had uh, yeah. good scores. Yeah, but that, that, that that's not the memorable part of it. No, that you they, don't remember. Yeah, you, yeah. you recall the soundtracks of an Edgar Wright film, and he's he's so good at it that I always anticipate when he releases his top fifty of of the ah, year. Ah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a Spotify <laughs> playlist, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He does some great curating in those playlists. I discover a lot of music through him. Has he? I'm just thinking out loud. Has he directed any music videos? Well, actually, I was just about to say, I <laughs> oh, feel like <laughs> in every movie of his, there's at least one music video inside True. the movie. Yeah. So he would be an amazing music video director. I mean, I you mean, can I even mean, do like trailers for his film, just the, a music video from sequences from his films. If you look Definitely up, Last Night in Soho, yeah. you could use that as the trailer. And if, and if you look up Black Sheep on YouTube, what comes up is the scene with some extra scenes added uh, yeah. to right. fill out the song. Right. So Sophie mentioned something um, in her song setup that I think it'd be fun deep dive, a mini deep dive. Brie Larson, she did have a pop career. Obviously, Sophie knows she did her research. <laughs> well, well, actually, do you did you know that before this? I did know that before. Okay, I did. Mario, how, did you? No, <laughs> did not you? at all. Not no. at all. What um, do you know? What I discovered recently: uh, Florence Pugh had a YouTube channel where she does uh, acoustic music, and she she's had it for like 10 years. So she was really young when she was doing it. I just oh, came wow. up with it uh, the, <laughs> like last week. I found some old YouTube clips from yeah. her channel her actual channel any wow. good uh yeah sure <laughs> i mean how many <laughs> how many youtube channels of people singing acoustic songs are well, there there are many miss <laughs> brie larson also has a youtube channel and she does an acoustic of actually <laughs> she did an acoustic of i'll just jump that she did an acoustic of black sheep a flash forward to if the song will go on if you have, have any question does this song live on she got requested to do this as a cover she said to her 
fans on, on her YouTube channel, any song you want me to sing, they asked for it and she did a YouTube cover of it. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you and our common goal was waiting for the world to end. Now that the truth is just a rule that you can bend, you crack the web, shape shift, and trace the past again. Send you my love. Why hasn't Brie Larson done a musical by now? I mean, she has a good oh, voice. Oh, Mario. Oh, Mario. She oh, has. Oh, you walked into that oh, one. Oh, she has. Yeah. It's she a has. trap. It You're is a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then I guess I'll flash forward to this then because it's just, she has. And it's called Bass Maddie Blues. 2017. Bass Maddie Blues. Bass Maddie Blues. I would... Try to explain what Bass Money Blues this is after, about. Is this after the, the Academy Award? Oh, yes, Mario. Yes and no. Here, I, I, I could do a setup of Bass Money Blues, which, by the way, has 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. But <laughs> I'm going to let this YouTuber... Oh. So FYI. that's why I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Love wait. YouTube. Is this an Love Indian YouTube. movie? Is this an Indian movie? Oh, no. 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 Okay. YouTuber, I'm going to let YouTuber Nick DiRamio set up Basmati Blues for us. Do like a little mini setup for us. Go ahead, Nick. The romance movie Basmati Blues started production in India in 2013, well before its lead actress, Brie Larson, broke out as a bona fide A-lister. Although the public wouldn't see this film until 2017, due to the production getting shut down after the sets were destroyed by monsoons. Hollywood never seems to listen when the universe clearly says, stop making this movie or I'm <laughs> going to drown you. Thanks to 2015 reshoots that Brie Larson probably should have skipped having just won an Academy Award, we now get to enjoy this finished fusion of Hollywood rom-coms and Bollywood musicals. Featuring Larson as a beautiful white rice scientist who invents a new type of white rice as a heroic gift from the white race. At one point, she literally rides up on a white horse to stop big business from oppressing the helpless farmers of India. So yeah, the film received some backlash for glorifying the country's centuries-long struggle against colonial rule. But wait, that's not all that sucks about it. There's also a handful of original songs that are catchy in a bad way. Good job, Nick DiRamio, doing a mini song yeah. set for us about oh. Maddie's Blue, but... So that's why I haven't heard of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Mario, I'm not going to disappoint you. You're Here gonna, are some... You're going to bring a song. That's Maddie yes. Blue's songs yes, for that's you. That's why I come to this so podcast. You can, <laughs> so you can listen to them. I know enough about biology. To know that love is not some mystery, it's chemicals, it's only chemicals. Maybe you're funny and maybe you're smart, maybe your whole exceeds the sum of your parts. Maybe your eyes, they gonna break my heart, but don't you even think I'm ever gonna. 
You may be kissable. Styling in my lab coat like it's Prada. Not a lot of time for bumps and pearls. Doing what a science hero's gotta do. I, I so, want yeah. to go. I want to go back to five minutes ago when I said that Brie Larson should do a musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I no. want you to. I want your honor to strike that from the record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say she still should do a musical. I mean, she's a good singer. A but, good but musical. Yeah, it, she's a great singer. That's the thing. She's I mean, a great singer. in her defense, <laughs> if I may. Uh, I think it's really, really bad when that usually happens, and it happens very frequently. Someone. They made some film. It never was released. You're suddenly in the spotlight. You win the Oscar. And the production suddenly finds some little bit of extra money just to finish it. And they release it yeah. when you're in mm -hmm. the high point of your career. And it's like, oh, my God, please just make it go away. And it, it happens a lot. And I'm sorry that it happened to her. But, yeah, that movie sounds awful. Now I want to watch it. Yeah, too. <laughs> I want to see if How Did This Get Made has an episode on that, but if not, Ooh, I'm going to submit it. I mean, the, the poster alone looks like, ugh, cringe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, answerable questions. Woohoo, answerable questions. Let's start with Seven Seconds in Heaven. What seven seconds from the song gives you goosebumps? And Mario, our guest, you're up first. Okay, so I listened to this song again uh, yesterday, trying to pick those seven seconds. That's not an easy task. I, I mean, after listening to so many episodes of this podcast, I thought I'll do great when it's my turn, and it's really difficult <laughs> to pick up seven seconds because it's usually... a short song too. Like that's yeah, the thing. yeah. So I picked uh, second for <laughs> second forty one to forty eight, which <laughs> Let's is see what that sounds yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. You went. So yeah, you went for that build up the at build the beginning. Up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all about the build up, and I honestly, I prefer the build up in the Brie Larson version because I like the 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 constantly oh yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah over the black sheep come on black sheep come on which is good, but I prefer the the energy of, of, of that intro. Yeah. And, and also, again, if you're a fan of the movie like us, there's dialogue too in that. It's, uh, it's funny. Like, Oh no. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, you know? Yep. Um, so it's also like, you remember that joke. So I've yeah. always wondered because I know directors like, uh, Tarantino writes with music in their heads and they do notes of what music they want. And because they're Tarantino, they can, pick any song they want and they can pay for it yeah. you don't have to worry about getting the rights uh, but Edgar Wright must have known this song was coming up in the soundtrack because the dialogue is edited to the rhythm of the song right yeah and I wouldn't be surprised if a filmmaker like Edgar Wright prioritizes like music budget you yeah. know like I mean, you and then to. just sacrifices somewhere else like oh I can shoot this because I'm I don't know like really fast I can edit this myself and we can save money here I oh shoot an X amount of days but like give me X amount amount for my music budget like that wouldn't be far-fetched I mean I'm just making this shit up but 
It wouldn't surprise me if that was I'm, the case. I'm sure he finds out how much music is going to cost before he even casts anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He casts a song first. And then, yeah. yeah. Sophie, seven seconds in heaven. Yeah, I feel like Mario and I are on the same wavelength because I'm pretty sure mine picks up right where his left off. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello again, friend. Oh, Sophie, this is my favorite segment, too. Just those yeah. slams. Yeah. yeah. It's everything. Yeah. Right? Man, I can't believe no one here of us, we didn't pick the chorus, but the chorus is really good. It was my my backup. <laughs> yeah, for my, ba- sure. my backup would have been where, especially Brie Larson, she does a really good job of that. I mean, I'm this is going to sound awful, but when oh, she like goes really high, <laughs> she, she's really good. Yeah. Um, favorite lyric. Uh, each host sheds light on their favorite lyrics. And Mario, you are... <laughs> well, first, uh, I've been reading the lyrics to this song like for the first time ever, and I, you know how some well, you probably do. You you listen to a song so many times, you never look up the the lyrics, and you sometimes oh, make up your own yeah. lyrics. Sure, you do that. That's a, yeah, it. Turns yeah. out that I I nailed pretty much all of them while I was uh, singing them throughout throughout all these years, but I never sat down to read it. Or even think about what I was thinking. <laughs> and and now when I, I started to read it, I said, I really have no idea what this song is about. I don't know if it's <laughs> a breakup song or if it's a song about someone that she considers a black sheep. And now she's asking them to come back home. But my favorite lyric, it's from the end of the song. And it's the part that goes, it's a mechanical bull, the number one. You'll take a ride from anyone. Everyone wants a ride. Pulls away, oh, from you. And it's for the reason that I love when a song changes up the chorus. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like when they, you think you know what they're going to sing, and then at the end, they just change it up a little. I like, yeah. I like when songs do that, so I'm picking that part of the song. I like that. Yeah. I, whenever they switch up the lyrics, it's always very effective. Yeah. Yeah, because because it's like storytelling. It's like we're right. we're we're also trying to tell you a story rather than also just get you like that dopamine like melody hit. Right. Um. We're also here. Yeah. Yeah. Sophie, My- this is your area <laughs> expertise. Favorite lyric. I do love. I do love a lyric. Mine is, our common goal was waiting for the world to end. I just really love what that says about the relationship that she's singing about. It, it's very illustrative to me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, played, it's very us against the world. Right, yeah. yeah. It's funny, I play that uh, Brie Larson cover on her YouTube channel, and she, they, she made that during the lock, lockdown and pandemic. And she was like, oh, this song hits really different mm. um that's something i didn't play on that clip but like after she finishes like oh man this is really hits very different so i've been trying to read the lyrics uh sort of with sort of a uh pandemic slash 2020 everything about not just the pandemic but everything the in the united states and uh yeah it, it's i can see where she was and what sylvia you were saying like yeah uh that part of it too Hall of Fame moment. Who or what had their best moment in pop culture with this movie and or song? It can be a person, a studio, a film, a music genre, a VFX in this case. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. So I thought long and hard about this question. 
And mm -hmm. since I saw your note that you sent me at the end that you said the more clever you get with this interpretation, the better. <laughs> I was trying to think I was trying to think about the actors and everyone, but th this is not their pop culture moment. So I'm going no, to make every, yeah. so I'm going to make the case and hear me out here that the the Hall of Fame moment award for this film goes out to bread. Uh, <laughs> and, and you can make the case that the war against complex carbohydrates, this was one of the, the, the most important moments in that war, because this, as you know, bread makes you fat. <laughs> that is one of the most famous quotes from this very quotable film. So I don't think there's an, I tried to think what other movie talks about bread what, what, when you think of bread do you think of any other movie and I mm. thought no I, I cannot recall any <laughs> famous bread topic or even <laughs> name dropping of bread in film ever so I'm gonna go for bread I love it <laughs> Whoa. I see your bread makes you fat and I raise you yes. is butter a carb from Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, no, I, Sophie, this is what I thought you were going to say. I see your bread from this old movie and I raise you a vegan. To me, this is what I think about vegans in, oh. in movies. Uh, mm. Todd, one of the seven evil boyfriends, yes. was a vegan And then he was vegan at the end when right. he defeats it. This is where uh, I learned about the octolacto vegan. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that was <laughs> the vegan police that comes and yeah. he went to vegan oh, academy. And I so much love so much. the vegan police. The, the vegan police yeah, yeah. is my favorite high five ever. <laughs> I just love it when they're going in the background and they're slightly out of focus and they just do this little jump and high five. I hate the fact that there's not a gif a, 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 how do you pronounce it? GIF? GIF? Whatever. Those little uh, things. It's like tomato, tomato. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate that there, I can search for high five GIFs and it, that one does not come up. I, I should fix that. I should you upload gotta learn that. How to, you got to make one. Yeah, I got to make that one. Yeah. I have a nominee. Um, Hall of Fame moment for 8-bit logo intros. Ooh. I love the universal very specific, intro. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, it's, uh, it's, well, it's very unique. So. This is the intro of the movie. Hall of Fame moment for 8-bit music in movies? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's the intro. I love it. But you guys are not feeling this 8-bit intro. Yeah. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> okay. I, I, I love when a film plays around with the logo, with the, uh, the studio logo. Yeah. But but it's it's a it's a double edged sword because when they do that, when I see the film starts with that, I go like, well, you have to live up to that now because you're twitching the logo, so you really have to capture well, that's the, the mood. Thing. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim live. Yeah, up yeah, to yeah, it. yeah. It really. Yeah, does. you know. I gave this Hall of Fame moment for Brie Larson's music career. Oh um, yeah, yes, yeah. Course. She's she's super talented, <laughs> like we've been saying, and she didn't find her stride with the teen pop. So this is like an awesome moment for her to really show her chops. And uh, Hall of Fame moment for Michael Sarah looking cool because uh, he's definitely typecast <laughs> as yeah, the nerd. Right? Yeah, and he's always he always plays the nerd who's like kind of soft and like you know is just the nice guy. And here he gets to be the hero and punch people, and he doesn't really get to do that often. 
my favorite line reading of his, I think his most <laughs> badass line in the movie is when he goes uh, up against the bass player and he says, stop it, you cocky cock. I <laughs> 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 We have a needle drop exclusive remix 2.0. This is a hard one. Pick another song that you would use in this movie scene. This song Oof. is in, this this question was almost impossible. impossible. Yeah, this is the answer. toughie. Yeah. Ooh. Mario, uh, you go first. Good luck. Uh fine. So <laughs> yesterday I went down the habit uh, the rabbit hole and started looking up for rock bands with female lead singers because it had to be a female uh, lead singer for this part of the film. And after a very, very long search, <laughs> I came down to the song Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Uh, uh, I, and I and it was tough because it's not it's not a banger song. I mean, you would have to. I mean, it's a it's a it's a really good song, but it's it doesn't have the energy this one has, mm -hmm. specifically for the for how Edgar Wright uses it in in the scene. But I think you could. It it also has like a uh, a crescendo at the beginning until it gets it gets to the chorus. So I I know that with a little bit of uh, editing, you could splice the crescendo to when the song hits the the high notes at the end. Where the where the chorus really starts uh, jamming, yeah, maps by the yeah yeah yes, that's the one that I ended up picking uh, after all, <laughs> about an hour of searching through songs. Wow. Okay, my answer is gonna be to you. <laughs> my answer is gonna be very disappointing because I did not music produce my my <laughs> my track <laughs> like Mario did. That's very impressive. Um, I was just going off of vibes alone, mm -hmm. and I thought oh, about the character of Envy, and then I immediately thought of Courtney Love. Okay. So I would pick Whoa. something from Hole, yeah. and maybe Whoa. like Celebrity Skin or something like that. Oh, um, that would be but yeah, great. definitely, definitely Hole. Oh, make me over. Well, that it would be different, but yeah. very interesting. Yeah, you would have to <laughs> add an intro to Celebrity Skin, but once that song kicks in, yeah, when 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 the when the spotlight would be on Envy and mm -hmm. you start with the lyrics, it would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I don't know. Then I'll, you guys, <laughs> uh, I don't know about mine. Mine is Thunderstruck by ACDC. Okay. Oh, okay. Obviously, the vocals don't match at yeah. all. <laughs> Hear me out. Um, a lot of editing has to be done to accommodate my request, but we have the guitar and we can do like a lot of dialogue over that intro. Like, you know, that has a really good sort of like similar to Black Sheep. Like there's a really good build up anticipation. Right. Todd, his character is also um, like kind of Super Saiyan. You can do Thunderstruck with VFX Thunder. Mm. Uh, get those After Effects VFX there. 
And uh, you would have to replace bass with guitar, and you can kind of, you know, Thunderstruck is a very <laughs> guitar y song. Yeah. It's not a good pick, right? It's, it's just fine. like I already it's had to make like three concessions. It, it, this but... only goes to show how difficult it is to change that song from that film. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Here's what I would say this is my train of thought, and, and this is honestly. I would love to see Edgar Wright use Thunderstruck in anything because uh, to me, it's a <laughs> under in his hands. That could really be a cool cinematic moment. I, I feel like that ACDC song has very special quality, can translate great to film. Edgar, we're calling you out. Yeah. Use it. I don't think he ever <laughs> Like, he needs suggestions. Yeah. He needs suggestions. Yeah, so. he's, he's doing fine. I don't think he ever will, though, because that's not like his. He always. It's too Big, famous. It's too famous. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I know. I know. I mean, what's the most famous song in any of his films? Don't Stop Me Now by Queen in Shaun of the Dead, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's pretty famous. Yeah. And it's also uh, an iconic scene, so. Yeah. Is this a car song? No one can define it, but everyone knows when they hear it. Is this a song to listen in the car? Mario, what do you think? Yes, most definitely. I'll Thank never, you. Of course. never skip this song if it comes up on the on the shuffle <laughs> on my playlist, ever. And huh. I'll, and I'll turn the know, volume Sophie, up. Oh, no, Sophie, no. I had to give it... Okay, here's what's, here's what's happening. Yeah. The song comes on. Yeah. I'm listening to it for a minute and a half. Uh-huh. And then once we get to that long music outro, I'm skipping. Like, hmm. it's taken down the vibe. Like, once Envy or Metric stops singing, I'm out. Okay. Because I'm in the car. We're, we don't have time for this. We've got to go on to the next audience. one. Uh, <laughs> tough to get into Sophie's car playlist. <laughs> I think this is a no-brainer for me. I mean... You're listening to the entire... You're listening to that whole outro in the car? By that point, I'm, like, drove in off the cliff because... When those guitar stings come, I'm like, vroom, like accelerating. And then that chorus comes in. I'm not taking my foot off the pedal. So I don't, I don't think I've survived enough to make it to the outro. Let's put it like that. Very well. Yeah. Poor adrenaline. <laughs> um, it's time for our Patreon submitted question. Patreons. Yes. If you become a patron supporter, you can submit us a question every episode. We reach out in actually our Discord server, our Discord channel. We have our Patreon submissions there and also obviously on Patreon.com. For this one, we reached out and Bob M got back to us with, this is a good one. Great job, Bob. What other actor or actress do you think could be in a rock band? Ooh, good one. Mario, you go first. So I took it that this was not someone like Brie Larson who actually had some singing career before this. So just someone right. who has never uh, tipped their toes in music. And that will be a more fun answer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in the, yeah. I'm on the right track. So I picked, and this is probably because I saw her recently playing a lead singer from a rock band. But I think I always, I thought that she would make a great uh, uh, lead uh, singer uh, in a fictitious rock band in, in any movie, but it's Chloe Seveny. I saw ah. her. I saw her recently in Poker Face. I don't know if you guys are watching Poker Face on on Peacock, the 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 TV series with Natasha Lyonne, uh, executive yeah, produced people by, love it. by Ryan Johnson. In one of the episodes, she plays the lead singer of a. Uh, of an old rock band that had like one hit wonder 
and they are cursed to always play it in every bar they go to play. She's really funny in it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she, she has the attitude. She has the fashion sense to be a lead singer of a rock band. So totally. yeah, I'm picking You know Code what? 70. Courtney Love biopic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say she kind of looks like Emily from Metric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, she kind of, you know, she has that same sort of vibe. Yeah. Sophie, good luck topping that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this is super funny because I picked Florence Pugh before <laughs> I knew about her YouTube channel. Look, I just thought like she has YouTube the channel. vibes. Yeah. She, yeah. She could do it for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I don't know how her singing chops are. I'm sure she's great. Because she's great at everything. Yeah, she sings really well, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paolo, to, what about you? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just thinking of Florence Pugh. I don't know what... I, I just keep thinking now just like Marvel stuff and like I don't... Like, yeah. H have you not watched her in the wrestling movie? It was one of the first roles she had. Oh no, no! She, she's no. really great in it, and she, she, she. I mean, she's she's amazing. She's one of the best actresses, young actresses we have. I'm just like trying to think like a like a rock star performance, but I mean, she has who am I her. to tell? My answer. Look, look at look at my answer. And I don't know the history of this actor, his background, so he might have some musical history. But Austin Butler. I like, mean, yeah, we know he can sing. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, he, I, I, he's I, been I, stuck I hate, with that Elvis accent since then. So I yeah. did not, <laughs> I did not like Elvis. I did not like that movie, but I could not say anything about his performance and his singing. It's clean, top notch. Those comparison videos, totally. I don't think I would enjoy his rock band. I don't like Elvis's music if he <laughs> continues in that way. It's not an uh, Elvis cover band. This is a rock band. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Marilyn. If he does something, but uh, he definitely thinks. Uh, did he have? I, I don't. Do you guys know if he had some singing background before he? I feel like he was a Disney Channel yeah, person, yeah. That's so, exactly. so they always must, have yeah, to must, sing. Exactly. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, all those Disney kids can, have you, to sing. Exactly. You can't hang out with the mouse if you can't like sing. harmonize. That's yeah. like a requirement. All right, moving on. YouTube comments, Sophie. You scrape the internet for YouTube comments on Metric and Brie Larson's performance. Do you find any cool stuff for us? Yes and no. I'll let you guys decide. <laughs> That's always the answer with YouTube well, first, comments. First off, the comments were so overwhelmingly positive, it was like kind of not fun. <laughs> but anyway, here we go. I honestly believe that this music should have been the official trailer for the movie. It's so well edited and shows just enough to make you interested and doesn't tell too much about the movie. I feel like we said this earlier. I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Preaching, <laughs> preaching to the choir here, like right. trailer sucks so much that, yes, I love like sequences as a trailer. And I thought actually, God, you guys might like either slap me or roll your eyes, but one of the trailers I liked was that Tom Cruise the Mommy one. Yes. I don't recall the trailer. You're going to have to refresh my memory. I don't recall <laughs> well, the trailer. Right. The trailer had, if I recall it correctly, it was like a good chunk of it was actually just like a sequence of the mommy waking up in some plane and he jumps. It's like a, like a, almost like a scene, except at the end they do like a quick montage, but it's like this sequence. And I was like, is, why don't is, we have more trailers like that? Well, what I like about showing a sequence as the trailer is you're only going to see a sliver of the movie instead of cutting to every joke, every explosion, yeah. every, you know, exciting thing in the movie. And then you're like, well, I guess I already saw it. Don't need to go pay you to see the movie now. 
And it's also, if you show like a really good sequence like this, you're gonna go like, well, what's the rest? You know, what's right. the rest of this? I'm intrigued. Like it's, it's such a better hook than just like, here's a collage of everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Here's our next one. I will soon be 30. This song just hits me in the heart. When this movie came out, I was in a rock band with my high school friends. We didn't have any fame, but we had a good time. I, I yeah, really identify I with this. I had a band in high school, and that's why I say, like, Scott Pilgrim, like, just really captures what it was like to, like, have a band, go see other of your friends in band, have, like, ask your girlfriend, hey, come to the show, or the girl you like, come to the, you know. I got kicked out of my band, though. It wasn't too cool. <laughs> I didn't have a band, but we did, they were just three guys that got together and played. I don't think you can call it a band unless you baptize it and put a name on it, so. You're more like the, uh, I love you, man, man cave, let's just jam out. Yeah, yeah, playing the bass, slapping the bass, man. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> Here's one for the anime fans in the audience. Ooh. Never realized how much of a Misa Misa vibe Brie Larson had in this movie. I mean, not attitude-wise, but the hair, like the outfit, totally. Pretty sure they're referencing Death Note here. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Misa Amane. Yeah, oh my the God, Death Note. Very yeah. annoying yeah. girlfriend. Yeah. Okay, this is our last one. She should do the masked singer. She would do so great in that show and she'd probably stump everyone. <laughs> yes, she would. <laughs> I think I'm speaking on behalf of Brie Larson's people, but I'm pretty sure she is not available to do the masked singer. <laughs> I mean... If she does more, if she does Basmati Blues too, she might be on the mass singer <laughs> in I mean, a couple of years. Her, her career would have to take a very deep dive for her to <laughs> consider being in the mass singer. And and I say all of this being a mega fan of the mass singer. I love that show. <laughs> it is so much fun. Well, either that or she can have a child who becomes a fan because that's how most of them do it. Like, well, my kids wanted to see me on the show. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's always like for the kids. <laughs> Mario, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a long time in the making, but so glad to have you on the pod. Finally, the first of many for sure. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, and thank you for picking like this song, which just uh, yeah, this was a fun one. Just loved it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hope uh, your other guests uh, step up in the game because this is going oh. to be a hard one to follow. So I'm just throwing the challenge out there. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, Mario, where can people continue to follow you and find your work? Uh, well, you can find me as Mario Alegre, M-A-R-I-O-A-L-E-G-R-E on Twitter and Instagram. My uh, my website is proximatanda.com. And you can listen to my podcast, Proximatanda and Desmenuzando. Uh, they're in Spanish, although Desmenuzando, it's kind of in Spanglish. So, you know, if you're taking Spanish courses, it's a great way to practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I mean, we just did, actually, you do some draft. We just did a soundtrack draft yes. on, on one of your podcasts. Yeah, Proxima Tanda, yeah. Thanks again for joining us. Sophie, as always, thanks again for your amazing work on the pod. Producing thank you. the hell out of it. <laughs> and as always, thank you for everyone for listening. Yeah, thank you for supporting The Sun Will Go On. We're excited for season two. Just make sure to connect with us on our Instagram at the song will go on twitter at the song will go on follow us and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts whether that be spotify apple whatever you use we're there and yeah stay tuned 
We'll see you in the next one. Bye. The song will go on is written, researched, and produced by Sofia Matano and Paolo Gracini. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are JP Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Sofia Matano and Paolo Gracini. The song will go on. It's a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at Gigawatts underscore YouTube.